Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Ashley, you are the last appointment on the books before I shut down for a week of time away because we are heading to the beach for a socially distant vacation and change of scenery. (laughs) Yay! I'm so excited that you're finally getting some time to rest and some time away. And we are recording this on Memorial Day weekend. So yeah, I hope that our listeners got to do a little bit of the same Um, change of scenery, change of pace. We don't really have any big announcements this week. Just a reminder about our Kindreds bookshop over at bookshop.org slash shop slash Kindreds. And all the books we'll be talking about today are in our bookshop. So you should go and check it out. Yeah, it's really cool to see them all listed, all the books that we've mentioned over the years. Yeah, it's a lot. It really is. Um, It's made me nostalgic about some books that we've read in the past. Yeah, same. And I was actually scrolling through it the other day and thinking, man, we read a lot and we read a lot of varied things. And that just makes me happy. I'm glad to know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's helpful to see it visually, just having the list out there. Mm -hmm. So very good. Yeah. So y'all should go check out our shop. Even if you just, if you don't buy from bookshop.org, you could at least get some inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of inspiration, today we are going to talk about creativity and what our creative processes are like. So we talked a few episodes back about productivity. So how is creativity different from that? So Ashley, I'm going to start with you. I know that you have been exploring some fun new creative projects while sheltering in place. Mm -hmm. Because on our last episode on reimagining community, you were talking about pulling out some old art supplies that you'd forgotten about in your closet. (laughs) Yes, I did do that. Mm -hmm. So let's hear from you. What's your relationship with creativity like? And what's your creative process like in general? Okay, so I am really glad that you used the word process because discovering the concept of process art actually was a huge game changer in my relationship with creativity. And it's kind of hard to talk about my creative process without talking about how I got here, so I'm going to back up a little bit. I would say that for most of my life, when I thought about creativity, I thought of it as this trait that some people have and some people don't. Like some people are creative and they do art or theater and they wear colorful clothes and they're super (laughs) passionate and dramatic and free spirited. (laughs) And then there are people who aren't creative. They're the ones who are like really serious and good at math and they have a high paying job. (laughs) Does that ring true for you? Yeah, it reminds me of something I heard Brene Brown say when someone asked her about being creative and she said, I don't do ART because I have a J-O-B. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think a lot of us are really held back from tapping into our creativity precisely because of those kinds of stereotypes that we carry around about like who gets to be, quote, creative. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, this idea and a couple of other things were kind of standing in the way of me being able to access my creative side. And the first thing is that I'm just not trained. I didn't go to art school. I didn't take music lessons. I don't know how to dance. So I can't possibly be a creative person, right? If I wasn't passionate enough about Mm -hmm. any one particular creative pursuit, you know, to go to school for it. And also, I really wanted to be taken seriously. And Mm -hmm. creative people aren't serious, Mm -hmm. right? So it just, I kind of, I would say I maybe put creativity on a shelf for a, for a while. Um, 
And another thing that kind of holds me back, I think, is perfectionism. I had this completely ridiculous idea that if I try something, I should be great at it. Just without even trying on the first try, just be great at it. So this all brings me back to process art. I came across this concept after I had Avery. Maybe some other parents out there can relate. I was exploring the world of infant and toddler development and looking for like ideas of things to do with them, art projects to try, you know, what supplies to buy, things like that. And the first thing that art teachers emphasize is that all humans are born creative, all of us. And that might take on different expressions depending on the person, but we all have the ability to imagine and to create and generate and make something new out of something expected. We all have that ability. But here was the main like aha moment for me. A big aspect of how kids learn and engage with the world and not just kids, but people, how people learn and engage with the world is through the process of doing something. So process art is used a lot in places like art therapy. The blog creativityintherapy.com describes it this way in the article Process Art in Therapy, which we'll link in the show notes. Process art, or art that emphasizes the kinesthetic sensory level of the brain, can be especially helpful for getting clients into the present moment, back in touch with their body, and away from perfectionism. So basically, process art is about focusing on the act of doing the art, not the output. Focus on the sensations of doing it, the exploration of using the materials, the way it makes you feel. And if you make something that you're happy with, that's awesome, but the end result is not the point. Mm -hmm. So that is what freed me up big time to just put aside like all the baggage of the creative label and any expectations I'd had of being good at something and just like dive in and try something new. So Overall, I wouldn't say that I really have a creative process. I just do with no expectations. I start with something that intrigues me. I find some tutorials on YouTube, get the most basic supplies or equipment to get started so I don't feel bad if I don't like it and quit. I am not too invested in it. And then I just go for it. And along the way, if when something starts to take shape, I can refine it and get better with each try. And so depending on the project, there might be more structure. Uh, especially if it involves other people like our podcast. Mm -hmm. But honestly, that is how our podcast started. We've talked about this on the show before. We had an idea. We had absolutely no idea what we were doing. We taught ourselves a few things and we just went for it. (laughs) You should listen to one of our early episodes and see how it's evolved. (laughs) Yeah, I have not done that. Have you? I was more saying it to listeners. I don't think I want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to do that either. I that, no, but we're almost 50 episodes in yeah. at this point, and we've been doing it for almost three years. I think that's so, right. Like, I mean, we love it, so we kept doing it. I hope we're better than we were oh, when no, we started. Oh, no, we are definitely better. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely, and our process has been more refined mm-hmm. over time. So I don't know. I think about all of that, and I'm just glad that we sort of took the fear out at the beginning and just mm-hmm. went for it. So what about you, Katie? What is your relationship with creativity and what is your creative process like? Similar to yours. Very similar. When you were talking about your past ideas about who gets to claim that label of creativity, Mm -hmm. it's almost like you could have been talking about me because I 
also thought that creativity was something that only belonged to a few people who were whimsical and colorful and maybe a little zany. Mm-hmm. That definitely did not apply to me. Like you, I wanted to be taken seriously. I'm a very serious person. Um, mm-hmm. And I also really struggled with, with perfectionism in general. And that includes around creativity and believing that anything that I created needed to be beautiful um, and beautiful to other mm-hmm. people. Yes, so, yeah. Yeah, a lot of pressure there around performance. And I love that you shared about process art. That's very helpful. And just thinking about how that's important for kids, it's like undoing the layers of all the baggage around art and creativity that we're taught and just getting back to that very basic human desire to create and that the act of mm-hmm. creating something is enough. And as you were talking about the podcast, I thought, I really enjoy the process of creating and coming up with the idea and talking to you. And so it does mm-hmm. feel very much like process art in the sense that I enjoy the doing as much as I enjoy the product itself. So absolutely. And yeah. for us, the doing is like all of it. <laughs> for me, the doing right. is all of it. Like yeah. we don't listen to the output really. No. After it's edited and put out into the world, we don't listen to it. We don't consume it. So it's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. It's true. And as you were talking about creativity and the process art piece, I thought about this opportunity that I had in college to observe a group of Tibetan monks creating one of those very intricate sand mandala. Mm. Is it mandala or mandala? Mandala? I think I said mandala. 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 But you know those really intricate designs that are very meditative and it can take days or weeks to complete. So I saw it being created, and I didn't know at the time, but when they're done, they do this whole ritual of deconstruction Mm. as soon as it's completed. And that was such a radical revelation to me. And at first I thought, that's so horrifying that they've created this beautiful thing and then they destroy it. But Mm. it's all about how nothing's permanent and that the process itself is what's important. And at the time Mm. in college, I was so focused on product and outcome that I really wasn't enjoying the process of creation itself. And I think that that has changed over time. I can't really point to a particular thing that led me to that, like your exploration of process art. But um, for me, I experience a lot of creativity on words and writing. I know you do a lot of of visual art. That's not as much um, an interest of mine, but I love words. I've always loved words since I was a child. And so something I found in my writing process is sometimes I just need to write something just to clear space for the next Mm. thing that I really want to write. It's almost like not so much a block, but just something I need to work through to create some space for that other thing to come through. And so that Hmm. free writing of just stream of consciousness, or I get an idea and I just like babble on for a little while about it. That's my form of process art. That's helped me a lot in my writing. So if you were to look through the notes app on my computer, you would see like dozens and dozens of these notes that are just straight up like nonsense gibberish. Um, (laughs) And it's sometimes I talk into my phone with ideas. It's just like letting, letting go and just letting what comes come. Um, And every now and then something will spark from that, that I will then pursue. So it's just essential for me to let go of that need to write something beautiful the first time. And allow myself to believe, to be completely unfiltered. Um, so I mentioned a few episodes back that I'm working on a new book. And I was putting together the proposal for that. And so I decided to try something new. 
I, I just let myself have that stream of consciousness whenever I felt inspired. Usually when I was in the shower, I would like jump out and talk into my phone. And, <laughs> and so I had this notes app that was just like full of sentences, paragraphs, random words. And I let myself have that space. And then when I was going to write the proposal, I opened up a new Word doc and I started fresh from scratch. So I had this separation of like, this is process, this is product. And it helped me get mm-hmm. really clear about what it was I wanted to share in a public way, because I will be writing for an audience eventually, um, but they don't necessarily mm-hmm. need to see every step of how I got there. And so letting go of that perfectionism and just letting the stream of consciousness come actually really helped me refine the product itself. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about some of the things that get in the way of creativity and maybe unpack them a little bit? Because mm-hmm. I feel like... There's a lot of layers to this, and I have a hunch that this is what gets in the way of creativity for a lot of people. So I don't know about you, but something for me that has been a big thing is this idea of talent, that people are born with an innate gift for something. So if you're talented, it should come easily to you. And if it doesn't come easily, you're just not talented in that thing, and you should just give up. And I think perfectionism is tied to this as well. I know in the past I've expected myself to just be good at something, like I said earlier, without recognizing the work and the dedication that it takes to actually get good at it. I think, is it Malcolm Gladwell that talks about the 10,000 hours that artists have to put into Mm -hmm. a craft before they're good? Like, Mm -hmm. if you want to get good at something, it takes 10,000 hours. And so if you're not really... If you haven't put in that level of work, expecting greatness is is really not going to work. So I have a story about this. This time when I was a teenager, I wanted to learn to play guitar. My mom played guitar. I grew up watching her play. She taught me a few chords on hers, and then she gave me a guitar as a graduation gift when I graduated high school. I played it for a few years and got like marginally better over time, but I never got good, not even a little, honestly. And I know you've also played guitar a bit as well, mm-hmm. so you're probably familiar. It's not an easy instrument, really. Mm-hmm. It's I think the process of learning is hard. The process of playing is hard. And so I struggled with it a lot, and I just got to this point where I figured I wasn't very talented at it. But honestly, the truth was I didn't really enjoy practicing enough to make time for it. And I realized that when, I don't know, halfway through college, my younger brother was in high school, and I taught him a few chords, and it was like from there just this explosion for him. He was that guy that if he wasn't doing something else, he had a guitar in his hands. Mm -hmm. And he got so good. I was so impressed with him and also a little bit jealous because I was like, I guess he's got the talent for this and I just don't. And eventually I realized that it wasn't about the talent. It came down to the enjoyment. If Mm -hmm. I had enjoyed it enough to stick with it, I might have been able to get as good as him. But every time I picked it up, it just felt forced and kind of like a slog. So I gave myself permission to quit and I'm totally fine with it. I still have the guitar. It's in the attic. Maybe one day Avery will like and play with it. That's totally fine. But it's just not for me and that's okay. So I'm curious to know, have you ever quit a creative pursuit? Well, I'm sitting here staring at my guitar that I haven't touched in months. (laughs) I'm going to try to let that go. (laughs) As you were talking, I was thinking about that movie center stage. Oh my gosh, I just watched that the other day. I feel like it's making a comeback. 
Um, yes, I think it's an anniversary year. It's like 20 years or something like that since it good, came out. It's such a good, bad movie. It is such a good, bad movie, y'all. Center stage, ballerinas. Yes, watch it. and Maureen, the really great technical ballerina, says you, yes. to her mother who's pressuring her, you, I, you didn't have the feet and I don't have the heart. And I think the heart part of the passion and the almost verging on obsession with something is what mm-hmm. allows us to really get expertise in something like where you just can't let it go and I think it's healthy to recognize that you're not going to feel that way about everything you know it's just not going to click um for sure so I've definitely quit stuff sadly for me a lot of the creative things that I did growing up that I loved are just not available to me at this stage of life um Mm. I studied dance for over 20 years I used to teach at a studio I studied vocal performance through college and I love dancing and singing so much, and I definitely still do those in a very informal way, but I, I don't have the space in my life to do those things in the way that I used to. Gosh, mm-hmm. I don't even know if my body could do some of those things anymore, but um, I do miss the performance aspect of those because we've talked before, I'm very sensitive to people's energy, and so being on stage and getting that energy from a crowd is an amazing high for me. Like, I love that yeah. feeling. Um, I guess when it's going well, <laughs> when it's a good yeah. crowd. But, yeah. um, you know, I've thought about maybe when Sammy's a little bit older, I'll have time or will want to pick some of that back up and do, like, community theater again. Because um, stuff like choir just doesn't do it for me. It's more of that, I don't know, it's like a different feeling for me to be part of a dance company or to be in a vocal yeah. performance that's not just, like, singing hymns on Sunday morning. So I just, yeah. there's not really a venue for that, and that's... That's okay. So I'm focusing my energy on my writing. And I think for now, that's good. And that's what I want to um, be an expert in right now. Yeah, I totally understand about the lack of time and the just need to prioritize. That is so real. Right now, for me, I use stolen hours when Avery is asleep for (laughs) my creative pursuits, like more elaborate cooking. Cooking has always been a creative outlet for me and cooking right now is just completely utilitarian. I'm not cooking anything fun or interesting or stretching my skills at all. But sometimes during nap time, I might bake something or something like that. And I'm also learning a new uh, painting style with alcohol inks that has been a lot of fun. And I wish- It's real pretty. Oh, it's so much fun. I might, maybe I'll share one of my paintings on Instagram. I am like a super, super newbie. Y'all be nice. (laughs) It's a, it's a very cool, um, forgiving medium, which is what I wanted. Something that I could just play with and feel. I really, the process of it is really fun, but it, you know, I wish I could take like a whole day and do nothing but that. And that's just not really, uh, in the cards right now and that's okay you know it's not enough but it has to be enough right (laughs) you know (laughs) totally so we talked a couple episodes back about productivity and I think it's good to kind of name that here uh something else that has blocked creativity for me is this pull to be productive and I think that also ties to perfectionism but it's kind of like if I can't sell or display the thing I make then there's no point in doing it at all like it's just wasted time and I could be using that time for something more like quote productive 
And once I let go of that and just started to embrace creativity for its own sake and the the benefits that I get from the process, it's just a whole different perspective. And so now I just, I don't really hesitate to approach a creative endeavor just to see what it's like and not worry about getting good at it or having it be a good use of my time or like making money off of it. So I know I've told you about this before, but for our anniversary last year, Pat and I signed up for a couple's pottery class at this local ceramic studio, and it was it was really fun. It was called Date Night on the Pottery Wheel, and basically you get 30 minutes of instruction, and that's it, and then you just get two hours and a few chunks of clay to just play on the wheel, and you get to keep two of the pieces you make, and they glaze it and fire it for you, and then you come back and pick it up. And I decided going in that I was like not going to get too precious about what I made and just have fun and not worry about making anything good. And you know what? My pieces were horrible, (laughs) but it was so much fun. It was fun to just do something different that neither Pat and I knew anything about. We, neither of us had any experience with this. And so we were able to just sit down, learn something new together, play, you know, bring out that side of play and, um, and learn. And Pat actually made a couple of really cute things, (laughs) even though that's not the point. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I'm picturing you two recreating the <laughs> scene from the Ghost. The scene from Ghost. I swear that is what everybody says when I talk Well, I mean, that's what we they're gonna... banking on with, with couples yes. pottery class. Yes. What was funny is they were like, bring, um, you can bring snacks or wine or whatever. And so I show up with a bottle of wine, but you you can't actually drink it because your hands are right. covered in clay the whole time. You need a straw. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was really fun. And I would totally recommend anybody doing that just to like go goof off with some clay for a while. I love that. That's really sweet. And I I really do admire your ability in that moment to have fun doing something that you're not good at. And that's really hard for me. I um, It's hard. It's really hard. And I yeah. you know, take myself seriously. And I think too, this is getting into my personal psychology, but I think being the youngest child there's that sort of like, oh, you're so cute because you're young and you don't know how to do stuff. So there's like that. I think there's just something built in when you're the youngest in a family of sort of being the one to like stumble along. And so I think I Hmm. prefer not to be in that position. And so I like to be very competent Hmm. (laughs) um, and high achieving. So I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, So if I'm going to struggle with something, I like to do it when I'm alone so I'm not going to mm-hmm. show someone else how much I am terrible at it. And then um, <laughs> once I've perfected it enough, then it's like, okay. Uh, so I have some growth to do in this area of vulnerability. So maybe I need to try some things that I'm not good at. <laughs> yeah, I think you're hitting on something really important. Vulnerability is just a huge part of creativity. And I know Brene Brown talks about this. Mm -hmm. So does Elizabeth Gilbert in her book. Have you read Big Magic? My God, that's one of my favorites of hers. It is good. Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. I love it. In the book, she has this whole chapter on fear, and she lists all the ways that fear gets in the way of creativity. And I love what she says about learning to embrace it. 
This is straight from the book. She says, it isn't always comfortable or easy carrying your fear around with you on your great and ambitious road trip, but it's always worth it because if you can't learn to travel comfortably alongside your fear, then you'll never be able to go anywhere interesting or do anything interesting. And that would be a pity because your life is short and rare and amazing and miraculous and you want to do really interesting things and make really interesting things while you're still here. And I totally agree with that. Yeah, I love that. And she says, you, you know, your fear can be in the car, but it's not your driver. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved that image, too. I mean, I adore big magic. And I love Elizabeth Gilbert in general. Um, and fear is something that she's really dealt with her whole life. She talks about yeah. it a lot. And she actually recorded this reflection right at the beginning of COVID-19 on Insight Timer, which is a free meditation app. We'll link to it. And she doesn't mm-hmm. talk about creativity so much, but she does talk about living with fear And she talks about this practice that she's done every day for a long time where she sits and writes a letter to her fear from love. And she tells herself all the things that she most longs to hear, like your most kind, compassionate friend would say to you. And it helps her deal with those feelings of fear about whatever they are. And um, one of the fears that gets me stuck is the fear that I won't have another idea worth exploring. Mm. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that applies to more than just personal creative pursuits. It pertains to my work life as well, where creativity and inspiration are required. Yeah. And sometimes productivity is a necessity, like when I have to write a work plan or write an op-ed and or write a book on a deadline. And that's when that productivity and creativity are combined. I think all of us in different ways are expected to be creative in the sense of coming up with ideas and implementing them. So mm-hmm. a lot of times when I'm feeling the urge to create, I like, I buckle down and I will myself to create something. And let me tell you, it's a slog mm-hmm. because I'm responding to fear and I'm responding to scarcity yeah. and not to yeah. inspiration. And I'm like relying on sheer willpower to get me through the thing. And it's really, really tiring. So yeah. when we were getting ready for this episode, I was reading the chapter in The Intuitive Way about creativity, which is a a book I talked about on our last Kindred's Picks. Mm -hmm. So the author, Penny Pierce, talks about creativity as this constant flow that happens between our souls and to our minds and to our bodies and back to our souls. So she says you get inspired at that soul level. You get like a spark of an idea. Mm -hmm. And then your soul ignites your mind to conceptualize it into a frame or a model So that could be like an image or a word. And then your Mm -hmm. mind moves your body to put the model into form. So that usually works pretty Mm. well, going from idea to concept to doing it. But then when your body's done doing, that's when you have to pause and return to being. When you're just in that open state to be inspired again. So there's like this constant motion back and forth. And she says, there's the being, the having, the doing, and back to the being. And it's going back to the being where we get stuck. And that's the fear of like, what if I don't have another idea that's worth pursuing? So we're Mm. like productive and fruitful. And then the trick is to be still and quiet and not do anything. Um, And she says, what happens is that we're too afraid of the uncertainty of pausing. So we just go back to that having and doing what we know. We do it over and over and over again. And we're not inspired by the repetition, but we also feel pressured to keep doing the thing we've already done, but do it better and do it better each time. It's like, I don't know if you can relate to that, but oh my gosh, like digging your heels in, like I'm just going to power through. And she talks about the software developer 
who created like a great product, sold it for a lot of money, then got afraid of doing anything different because now he had security. And so he just like kept making software, even though he hated it. And Hmm. he ended up feeling very blocked from his intuition. So what she says we do is we just like stop doing and we sit and we waste time. Um, So for me, when I'm stuck, I go for a walk or I like I call you, you know, I talk to someone. You ask, do I even like doing this? (laughs) Yeah. Right. And allow the truth to come forward. And it's clearing that air, you know, just like with your guitar. This isn't for me. And letting go create space for something new to emerge. We just we have to have faith that it will. Yeah. I love everything you just said, that just the soul, mind, body connection that is required in creative, the creative process. And I think we talk about embodiment on this show a lot. We've never done an episode all about embodiment, and that might be something interesting to explore. But I think so much, so many of us are kind of out of tune with our bodies and out of tune with our intuition. And so if I don't know, like Mm -hmm. if you're somebody that longs for creativity or to bring more creativity into your life, getting in tune with the body and the soul and the, you know, our intuition, I think could be one path forward in that. So I just, I love everything you said. That's so cool. Yeah, I really recommend the book. And I know we have some other things that we want to recommend this episode. I think you are up first for our, what we're reading and listening to. Yes. So I mentioned earlier that cooking is a creative pursuit for me. I can't be super creative with it, but I can watch other people. Right. I love to watch cooking shows. When I was growing up, my family watched a lot of Food Network back when most of the programming was made up of those how-to shows, more like Barefoot Contessa and Rachel Ray's 30-Minute Meals. And now it seems like it's mostly competition shows and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'll be honest, the Food Network played a really big part in expanding how my family cooked and ate, and it made us into more adventurous eaters. So I'll always uh, appreciate the Food Network for that. I haven't had cable in years, and I don't miss much about it, but sometimes I do miss those great instructional cooking shows, which is why I was so excited to see Nadia's Time to Eat on Netflix. Have you come across this yet? No. It's so good. So for folks who are familiar with the show, The Great British Bake Off, it's this lovely competition show. It's just delightful. Nadia Hussein was the winner of season six. I loved watching her that season, and her new Netflix show, Time to Eat, is just a real joy. The premise of the show is basically that she's a busy mom who uses shortcuts in the kitchen so she can have more time for herself and her family. And her recipes are really easy and interesting, and I also just love her kitchen. I have no idea if it's her real kitchen or a studio kitchen, but I don't care. It is so colorful (laughs) and fun, and I just love everything about it. Her kids are on the show a lot. Her family is on the show a lot. And she does things like like time-saving hacks, like cooking in bulk. She uses lots of canned and frozen ingredients, which the dietitian in me always appreciates that someone is taking the shame out of using canned vegetables because I think a lot of people feel like if they can't afford fresh fruits and vegetables for their kids that they're bad parents Mm -hmm. or something, and that's just not true at all. And something else interesting about the show is she's also a practicing Muslim, and throughout like the pandemic lockdown in Britain, she's been uh, vocal on Twitter and other places about what it's been like to experience some of the mm-hmm. holidays like Ramadan and Eid in isolation. 
So uh, she also talks on her show about eating by halal customs. So I just think it's been a really cool introduction to some people who aren't uh, as familiar with some of the tenets of the Muslim faith. Like she's being able to bring that faith into her TV show. And it's just this like normal part of their family life. And it's not, you know, it's just really cool. So I highly recommend Nadia's Time to Eat on Netflix. So what about you? I love that. I love the intersectionality of that, of her showing up as a full person. Yeah. Yeah. I love it too. I don't miss cable either, by the way. We haven't had it in forever. (laughs) Um, And I ate so many frozen vegetables as a kid and they were not prepared well. Sorry, mom. Um, Yeah. It took me a long time to like to learn or to learn to like vegetables. Yeah. (laughs) When they're not prepared well, they're not great. So maybe I'll get inspired to give them another chance. I actually looked up some of her recipes on the BBC website and some of them look good. Um, but Matt does all the cooking in our household, so I'll I'll let him look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll tell you if it's doable. Exactly. After a really long uh, fiction kick, I decided to change it up, and I've been reading Samantha Irby's latest book. Wow, no, thank you. Ooh, have you? How is it? Have you read any of her blog posts or heard her on interviews? I've heard her on interviews, and I've heard her talking about this book, but I have not read anything she's written. She's I don't real think. funny. She's really funny. If you don't know her, she started out as a a blogger, like many people, and she has several other collections of personal essays. But this one is about her life after marrying her wife, a white woman, and moving from Chicago to conservative Michigan and Mm. turning 40. And I'm realizing that I'm about to turn 37. I'm not that far off from turning 40. So it's starting to resonate (laughs) at a different level. Um, I'm getting into the late 30s. So she has this whole chapter on what she would include on a mixtape, both A and B sides, <laughs> and <laughs> it's a complete throwback to to the 90s music. Oh, yes. And she would listen when she was a kid. I did this too. Listen for a song. Me too. Come on the radio and record it. Oh my gosh. I could so relate to that. So I think it's inspired yes. me to make a throwback playlist on Spotify of all of my teen angsty songs. Ooh. Um, so much Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. Oh my here. gosh. So pain point for me. I'm so I was supposed to see her for my birthday next month in concert and it got postponed. Yep. That was on my list of something to do this year too. Oh. I love that you were gonna do that. Yeah. I'm so sorry. She's coming to Raleigh, to. but hopefully it'll happen. But because it's her Jagged Little Pill yes. 25th anniversary yes. tour. She wrote yes. that album when she was 18. Oh, my god. Anyway, side note, She's, sidebar. Side note. But yeah. um, mm-hmm. anyway. We also recommend her. <laughs> we recommend Alanis Morissette and any angry chick music from the 90s. Um, yeah. So back to the book. I could also really relate to her talking about, like, the agony of going out with friends for dinner and drinks. Like, obviously, right now, that feels forever away but Mm -hmm. she talks about just the agreeing to do it in an abstract way and then when the time gets closer when she's actually gonna have to go out the house and put on clothes Uh. she's like hoping someone will cancel (laughs) so she won't actually have to leave and she's like i only i'm not gonna go stand at a restaurant like i need to be on open table to make sure there's gonna be a comfortable chair for me at the restaurant and it's just She's very endearing, and I feel like she walks the line of being, like, a little bit gross and gratuitous, but it's not over the top where it feels overdone, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. It's just real. It's just raw. real. Yeah. And she yeah. also embarrassingly talks about how white people always think she's Roxanne Gay. Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> and to the point where I saw on Goodreads, Roxanne Gay had uh, rated her book you know, four stars out of five. And she was like, please, white people, quit confusing us. Like, there's more than one 
black woman author with tattoos. <laughs> um, oh, so that was Lord. a little painful. But she somehow she makes it funny. So it's a really, really funny, light read. Very real. Um, so if you're looking for a laugh, check out Wow, No Thank You by Samantha Irby. I am definitely going to do that. That sounds so good. funny. <laughs> so Katie, you are up for Kindred in the Moment. Okay. Well, similar to you on our last episode, I was having a hard time thinking of a single person for this. But then I thought of this amazing community poem that I heard on NPR called, If the Trees Can Keep Dancing, So Can I. Mm. So Kwame Alexander is NPR's poet in residence, which is just a really cool title. That is very cool. And he was on an episode of Morning Edition and invited listeners to share how their lives had been affected by COVID-19 in the form of a poem. And he asked people to submit poetic lines, starting with the words, what I'm learning about grief. And then he took on the task of creating a crowdsourced community poem, which is also a really cool idea. Yes. Yeah. So he uh, wove together the words of more than 30 people. And you can read the full poem and listen to it being read by Alexander and Morning Edition host uh, Rachel Martin on the NPR website, which we'll link to. But I wanted to read a few lines to you right now. What I'm learning about grief is that it can turn you into someone you don't want to be, can help you become someone you never thought you could be, is that it transcends color, race, religion, gender, is that it's an old lover that won't leave, trying to hold your hand again, that it aches in the arches of feet, that its mother is lost, its father change, make room for it. Mm, I love that. That actually goes really nicely with our next episode, which we will be talking about grief and loss. So that's it for today. And Katie, I will talk to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 